0: Morning. I'm glad to see you in church this morning, and I I really mean that. When I said good morning, it was it was kind of a wish for you to have a good morning, but it was also a statement that it is a good morning because I get to see my brothers and sisters in Christ here in church, worshiping Jesus together. With them and me singing praises to God so that we can see what God has said to us and we can remind each other of who God is. Because there is a very big claim here at the tail end of Micah. And this is one of the reasons why I I, I sometimes love my job and hate my job at the same time, because my job is to open the word of God and to express to you what it says. But I only get about 30 minutes to explain to you lots and lots of stuff. And so we break it up a bit and we, we try to express the totality of what God is saying in his word in a really short period of time. And I, the fact is Micah is one big book. It's a prophecy that you're actually meant to understand and read as one thing. And the reason that that's important is the same reason that it's good to be at church. Because here at the tail end of Micah, after we've seen all of the strange pathologies that humans can get into when we miss one major fact, that transcends everything that we are. We get the cure that God has for that, all of the social pathologies we have, all of the problems that we have, all of the difficulties we have in living the Christian life, in living a fulfilled life, in living a joy filled, peaceful life. And we get that in a simple fr- thing here. And th- this is the reason we have church. You see, church isn't simply so that you will enjoy yourself at a worship service, though I hope you do. Don't get me wrong. It's not merely so that we can enjoy community together, though we, that is a central facet of, it, of what it is. The job of a church service, of church generally, of our reading the Word of God, of understanding this, is that we understand the one thing that I would actually argue is the the point of the totality of the Bible. God, this God, the God we see in scripture is glorious. And I say that with so many of you looking back at me with slightly blank stares because glory has kind of lost its meaning. We don't quite understand what it means. And I'm only gonna have time to deal with Two facets of what God being glorious means, and it's the title of the sermon, God is good and God reigns. You see, in our, the reason the church exists and all of these things exist is so that we would be developing and maintaining a divine discontent about the world we live in about our lives, about everything, and not a discontent that the world has, because the world is very discontented. Let me tell you, I read Twitter. (laughs) But a divine discontent, a recognition that there is something far greater, far more glorious, far more transcendent than what we recognize normally. And we need to have the kind of discontent that drives us to seek God in our lives and to seek him in the things that we do. To open the word of God, not merely to just simply finish this, this morning's two chapters of Isaiah, but so that we can look through the two chapters of Isaiah and see the God who is good and who reigns. That's why we're here and I I think one of the problems that we have generally is that we tend to forget that. We forget the glory and the majesty of God. And I sometimes wonder at church, honestly, this morning's worship was great because it pointed us in the right direction. It started with Paul starting us off with pointing towards Jesus. I actually turned back to Shane as Paul was teaching at the morning and said, Paul, please don't use all my points in the opening, please. But it's important to realize that we so easily forget the glory of God. I was reading earlier this week from a guy who wrote in the 17th century, a guy named Stephen Charnock, it's a really good book, called The Existence and Attributes of God, and this is from Discourse 11. He says, Whatsoever a human tongue can speak or an angelical understanding think of the excellency of his nature and the greatness of his works falls short of the vastness of the divine perfection. A creature's praises of God are as much below the transcendent eminency of God as the meanness of a creature's being is below the internal fullness of the Creator. No matter how good our worship is, no matter how good I do at this sermon, we are still just getting the slightest sign of the glory of God. I I was trying to seek in my head a way to explain this, and I can only come up with in my memory an instance or two of how I, of what I felt this kind of thing, and I kind of saw this kind of thing. I remember back in 1998, summer, July in fact, I was in North Africa. We had driven into the desert for a little while to go to a oasis called Jerma and I was sitting lying on the sand which was not a good idea there were scorpions around but I was lying on on the on the sand and looking up into the sky and for the merest second I grasped the sheer vastness and glory of who God is and that's why I remember the day I can actually remember the feeling somewhat And that only gave me a slight sign of it. You see, we as Christians and we as humans like to think that we understand things and we can put them in right order. And don't get me wrong, I like theology. There are very few people around that you will run into that like theology more than I do. I, I like thinking things through. I do apologetics all the time. I really do enjoy the life of the mind. It's a thing I, I'm into. But there is a time when the, the life of the mind, the things that we say and, 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 and come into, don't meet the full standard, and we need to see the glory and majesty and might of God. The statement that God is good and God reigns can Sometimes sound trite, because sometimes it is. Because we live in a world that really does have evil. And I don't mean evil in the sense of, you know, just bad stuff that happens to us. I mean really evil stuff. And the claim that I'm making up here should make us uncomfortable if we're just merely going to be dealing with the claims here. Because I'm claiming that God reigns and God is good and evil is real there are people today right now as we talk doing horrible things to other people there's a lot of human evil going on in the world i'm not going to i'm not going to go deep into it just watch the news worse than that there's human evil there there's natural evils too There are natural disasters that happen. Some of us are actually dealing with real evil problems right now. And and yes, I am still claiming that God is good and God reigns. And so he reigns over those things too. Have you had to watch uh, someone you love die of dementia? I know a lot of you have. I know I have. To watch someone who is strong and uh, fulfilling and, and, and and a hero in your life slowly lose connection to life and become a mere shadow of who they were. That's not good. And I'm still claiming God is good and God reigns. There are terminal illnesses. They happen. They happen to people who don't deserve them. At least from our perspective. And I am still saying, God is good and God reigns. And if I just say it that way, without an understanding of the all-surpassing majesty and glory of God... The, that feeling you get when you see the transcendence of who God is, that, that kind of div- divine discontent we're trying to build here when you understand what we're, pre- what we're singing in the songs and what we're preaching in these words, that gets us a little bit closer because without that, it sounds flippant. You know, it's true to say God has a plan and his plan is for good, but it's not the thing that feels good when you're dealing with real pain and suffering, when you're dealing with real evil. And don't get me wrong, the people in, Isaiah, in sorry, Micah's time, actually Isaiah and Micah are contemporaneous, just for the word. At Micah's time, we're dealing with real evil. The, the, the claim here in the text of Micah is that they're going to go into exile. They're going to watch people they care about die. And not at the hands of good and godly people. No, it'll be at the hands of evil people. Namely the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. They're going to see their, 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 their cities destroyed. It won't feel good. And so there is a need here to understand who God is. To, as Psalm 111.10 puts it, to have a fear of the Lord because that's the beginning of wisdom. All who practice the fear of the Lord, it, have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Proverbs 9.10 says a similar thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. There's a reason that we have to have a high view, a high view of the glory and majesty and overarching strength of God, because if we don't, we're going to become Flippant, surfacy people when it comes to the real situations we see in our lives. The real situations we're going to have to deal with and we're going to have to live through. And if you're not suffering now, hate to say it, wait, it's going to come. And brothers and sisters, we are called to actually share in our suffering with one another. And we're not going to do it. We're going to end up being flippant and saying things because we feel a little bit Uh, self-conscious unless we get a large view of who God is and his glory. And that's what Micah is saying. So I have uh, essentially four points. We're going to go through the text and I'm going to try and hopefully show you where it says this. I'm going to start with verses 7 to 10. And my point here from these, these verses is going to be that people oppose God, and God reigns. People oppose God, and God reigns. The, the text, seven, uh, verse 7, says this, But as for me, I will look to the Lord, I will wait to the, for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. He's trusting in God. His trust is in God. But that doesn't mean that everybody uh, is fine with him, because by verse 10, he's saying, Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? That means somebody said to him, While he's trusting in God, Where's your God? Uh, and it's not this kind of situation where this is an academic exercise. They're probably not sitting over nachos and thinking about this thing. It's probably a little bit closer to what you see in Job. You know, where Job loses his wealth, then he loses his family, and he is, loses his health, and everything is going wrong for Job, and his wife says to him, curse God and die, and I don't think that Job's wife is just being a terrible person. I think she probably actually loves him. But the, 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 the suffering is just too much for him. She hates seeing him in that position. This is probably the, closer to the situation that happens in people who don't know God and don't know the glory of God and don't see God as glorious overall. They think like this. I, I mean, when we don't see the glory of God, we think this way. Have you ever had that feeling, you know, where is God, when, and fill in whatever thing you're going through, whether it's a minor problem or a major problem, and I'm not gonna talk about that because the problem that you're having, the difficulty you're having is big to you, so I can't really grade it. But the response is almost always the same. You can be trusting in God, and people will still oppose God, often with good intentions, Yet, verses eight and nine. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy, when I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Now, this is... Micah is thus saying he is essentially trusting Jesus the way we trust Jesus. Jesus is the reason that we can stand before God righteous even though we're not. And realize that our vindication will come. But the other thing that we should remember about Micah is Micah is one of the minor prophets. Now he's, And he's a biblical prophet. That means what he says comes true. He has a 100% fulfillment rate. That's what a biblical prophet is. That means when he says that, he's telling the truth. God still reigns. People oppose God. People turn away from God. People tell you all sorts of strange things about what God believes, and God still reigns. Second point, verses 11 to 16, evil causes desolation and God reigns. This is verse 13, but the earth will be desolate because of, the, of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. I'm, I'm taking this a little bit out of order because I, uh, you, you do actually need to grasp the context here. Evil has results. It just does. There is no such thing as a world where evil doesn't have recompense. This is, by the way, why you should wage war against any form of sin in your life at all, because sin always has results. And unfortunately, the results are very destructive. And... It's hard to say it this way because uh, I don't wanna be slagging people for, for things, but when you go out into the world and you see people being inhumane to other people, it's usually because there's sin somewhere in the, in the relationship. And, it, and the worst part is, oftentimes, innocent people get to suffer for the sins of others. Have you noticed that? I mean, I don't think the people who face war in the world intended for other countries to invade them? I don't think they did anything to, to warrant it, and yet it happens. When people take advantage of innocent seniors and to steal all their money because they happen to be nice, they didn't do anything wrong. They did something right, and yet they get to suffer for it. Evil destroys. That's what it does. And and I'm going to ask you to sit there a little bit on that because, again, it's easy to be flippant about evil, especially here when we're in a church, you know, a nice warm place, a dude standing speaking to us in a nice suit, you know. uh, And I'm, I'm pretty good to look at, I know. I mean, heck, I'm made in the image of God. And so are all of you. But evil is real. And yet, God still reigns. In the face of this desolation, this is what Micah is promising the people of Israel. A day for the building of your walls, verse 11. In that day, the boundaries shall be far extended. In that day, they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea, and from mountain to mountain. There will be a future prosperity that God will work out for his people. But it might not be yet. There is a promise beyond this evil that we have. Verses 14 to 15, shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance who dwell alone in the midst of a garden and let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out from the land of Egypt. And I will show them marvelous things. God provides not only prosperity for their future, but also comfort and provision. And of course, this is Harder to understand and harder to believe because, again, we don't see it right now. But That is the promise of the Bible. Read Revelation. Not like it's a form of, uh, a form of uh, I don't know, future newscasting, but as what it is, an expression of God's glory throughout all, all eternity and the ultimate goal, the ultimate end point of reality. God works all things together for his good and for the good of those who love and serve him and are called according to his purposes. Again, that's a scripture verse and that's a promise. So in the midst of all of the evil we face, all of the desolation we face, and it's real evil, it's real problems, God yet says, I will work this for good. This morning in Sunday school we were talking about uh, the, the, the time of Joseph in, uh, in Egypt and the guy who uh, the video we were watching uh, expressed and explained how Joseph every time he did nicer things he ended up deeper in problems. He's a faithful person in his household and he gets accused of assault and gets thrown in prison. He's in prison and he does the right thing. He tells the two people what the promises are and instead of getting accepted, he gets to spend two more years in prison. I mean, he is a little arrogant when he's talking to his brothers, but he's uh, usually a nice enough guy and he ends up getting beaten up and sold into slavery. Joseph does the right thing and he has all sorts of evil happening to him. And yet, at the end of his life, He's able to say, what you intended for evil, God intended for good and for the saving of many people. Make no mistake, brothers and sisters, while evil exists and it's powerful and it does all sorts of things in our lives, while the evil may be even leaving in us, God is still powerful and he still reigns over it. But more than that, worldly power fails and God reigns. This is verses 14 to 17. Verses 16, 17 says this. The nations shall see, this is see the glory of God, and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths and their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent like the crawling things of the earth, they shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Now, we as people who are in God think that that's a pretty nice thing to hear about. You know, our enemies are going to have problems. Our, th- these people are probably not going to be happy. Because all that they have trusted in will come to Nothing. And this is going to be another problem that we face in the world that we're in. It's so easy to trust in other things. It is easy to trust in military power, in riches, in wealth, in uh, the number of friends we have, in the, uh, I don't know, the ability of the friends we have. It's so easy to trust in those things, and none of them have value independent of God. Because ultimately all things work together for God's glory and our good not for our own glory and good you see worldly power fails and insofar as we invest in worldly power insofar as we invest in these things as our ultimate value and our ultimate good it's going to fail Brothers and sisters, I'm not saying that you you don't need to actually be righteous with the things that you've got. You do need to be wise with the things you've been given. You need to be faithful with stuff. I am not the guy who's going to tell you to not actually invest for your retirement. That's That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, don't trust in it. Because to be blunt about it, the money might go away and you might not live long enough to use it. Neither of the that means the money is not your ultimate goal. If you have trust in your popularity and how good you look, you may look almost as good as me, but someday you're going to get older and you're not going to look as good. It just happens. You may be trusting right now in the way that your intelligence and the way people listen to you and trust you. And you know what? Someday you may find yourself unable to put two thoughts together. It can happen. It may happen. Don't trust in your intellect. Trust instead in God. Again, repeating the verses 14 and 15. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden and let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. And I will show them marvelous things. God will show himself in our lives. Ultimately, our value has to be him because ultimately he is the only one who can fulfill all of this. He is the only one who is good. He is the only one who can redeem us. Get to that in a minute. Because I've told you, just to repeat, and sorry, just go back through the list here people oppose God, and God reigns. Evil causes desolation, and God reigns. Worldly power fails, and God reigns. And the fourth point the title of this sermon God is good. And God reigns. And I don't mean that in some kind of abstraction, some kind of mere intellectual statement. I mean God is good and God reigns. Verses 18 to 20. Who is like you? Now, we like to pass over this as just kind of a hyperbole. This is a linguistic thing that he's saying. He's actually asking who is like God, and it's a rhetorical question because there is no one like God. What comes after this is a statement about, some, about a God who is greater than anything you can imagine. Pardoning, and why? Because he pardons iniquity and passes over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. And he does that justly because of Jesus Christ, who both takes the sin that we have done and gives us the grace and the mercy and the goodness of him, what theologians will call the great exchange. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love and in his steadfast love, not merely ours. This isn't based on our ability to follow through on his his thing, he is good, he is steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will ca- and then it switches. Micah then starts talking to God in worship. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Likely, Israel in the time between the Assyrian dispersion with genocide precipitated on the northern kingdom, and the face in the Babylonian exile had trouble remembering this. Uh, We, in probably lesser fields, feel the same way. There are so many things that can possibly go on in our lives, and yet, this is the promise God gives us. He is not merely powerful. He is good. That means a lot of things. It means that as we face suffering and as we deal with problems and as all of these things happen, you know, sin destroys as people go against us, as all things go wrong and yet God works things out. God is doing good things through this. Again, use the phrase that, jo- uh, that uh, Joshua, sorry, Jonah, anyway. At the end of Exodus, he says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. That's still true of everything that you're going through right now. That's true right now of everything that's happening because God is merciful and he delights in His steadfast mercy. He is reflecting his goodness and his glory through you in that mercy and grace. And that means a bunch of stuff. I'll give you a couple just for the sake of my, my sanity. It means that we obey God because God is good and he reigns. We don't, try, we don't obey God because I don't know, we have a a checklist that we wanna pretend that we're better than other people. It's because God is good and he reigns and so why wouldn't you trust him? We obey God because God is good and God reigns. We turn from sin because God is good and God reigns. Right now, uh, we could be trusting in our own sinfulness. We could have all sorts of things going on in our lives and I don't know what's going on in your life that you, you, you realize is a sin and that you need to be repenting of. Uh, if you're like me, you've got a couple of things in your head right now. We return and repent of our sin because God is good and God reigns. He will eventually overcome it and he does desire to help you do it. We have police in the place that we are, even as we repent of sin, because God is good and God reigns. And just a slight aside here. Um, I did joke a little bit about you know how attractive I am. Uh, just to let you know, I am actually one of the most uh, unconfident people about my looks that you could possibly imagine. That doesn't change the fact that I was right when I said I, was ma- I am made in the image of God. And I apologize to those of you who may think that God made a mistake with you that you are somehow not good enough. With all due respect to your intelligence and your ability, you're wrong. And it doesn't matter if you see that you're beautiful. You are. It doesn't matter if other people see that you're beautiful. You are. Statement. And that's not me, that's God. Because you're made in his image. Those stupid things you see on Facebook and Twitter that tell you all sorts of things that you need to be like, where people have airbrushed air the, the bejeebers out of themselves so that you don't even see something that's even vaguely human on the screen. Sorry, personal personal problem. That's less Beautiful than you are because that's a fake image of an image of God and you are an image of God. Nobody has the right to disparage the image of God, not even you. Sorry, side, side point there. But brothers and sisters, God has not made a mistake with you. He has not actually misunderstood things. And to be honest, it's not a mistake that you're here this morning. Some people will actually say the thing that God couldn't possibly save me. There are few things more arrogant than that statement because God is far more powerful than all of the problems that you have. Your sin and your evil have an end right there on the cross of Christ. If only you have faith in him. Because, and this is the ultimate point, the point that we need to remember, God is good and God reigns. Over everything in your life, over the problems that you're facing, over the difficulties that we're facing here today, over the problems you will face in the rest of your life, God still reigns and he's still good. And he is doing good in your life, right now, even in the midst of your struggles. I don't know what that, right, that good is. I'm not that smart. But he does. And now as we turn to communion, you see, the ultimate thing that we have to remember is that We need to look to God. I remember hearing that the, that we have this uh, revival going on in Asbury. You've probably heard about it. The revival in Asbury will tell you and that God is working in the world and that's a good message. But so often we misunderstand that and imagine that the point that we need to make is that we need to be praying for revival. We don't need to be praying for revival brothers and sisters. We need to be praying to see God again. To see God more clearly in our lives. And one of the ways that we understand God and God has given us to remind us who he is and what he does for us. That we might be revived by seeing God again in our lives is he gives images of the blessing we have in Jesus Christ. Namely, well, communion. You see... Communion is given for a purpose. In 1 Corinthians chapter ten, it says this at verse sixteen: "The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ?" So today, as we turn to communion, as we do the thing of taking the bread and the wine, and If you are a believer today, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, this meal is for you. The blood is the blood shed for you. The bread is the body broken for you. And it's a reminder of who God is and that he is both good and that he reigns. So it's for you. And it's a participation in God because we can see then God more clearly. We understand his goodness and his mercy and his steadfast love through the bread and the wine. So, we now turn to that.